honey bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets and chard, chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to Tennessee farm table, cast on skillets, good and hot, watch it steam and crack and pop, cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop in black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. This morning, we are setting the table with chicken. Our guests today include just a tip of the iceberg representing their perspectives on this topic. And this is but the first installment of Tennessee Farm Table shows featuring chicken. On today's program, our guests include Lois Schuler Colrin and her daughter Ruth Davis of Blount County, Tennessee, with a recipe their family has enjoyed for many years, which is easy to prepare and economical, chicken and crackers. We also hear from farmer Allison Bales of Mossheim, Tennessee, and her recipe for buttermilk chicken, how to get the most of a whole chicken, and how to make chicken broth and James Beard, award-winning food writer Ronnie Lundy, reading from her book, Shuck Bean, Stack Cake, and Honest Fried Chicken, The Heart and Soul of Southern Country Kitchens, published in 1990. In this recording, she reads from her book on the topic of honest fried chicken prepared in cast iron. And we'll also have a mini-visit with Roy Milner. He is Chief Fermentation Officer at Blackberry Farm Brewery. This is to give a taste of what Roy will be presenting as part of the upcoming Appalachian Homecoming with Lodge Cast Iron at the Dancing Bear Lodge and Appalachian Bistro in Townsend, Tennessee. That's coming up August 4th through 6th. I want to say thank you so much for your good company here today at this big Tennessee table. I really appreciate you tuning in. So let's first hear that mini visit with Roy Milner now. So we're sitting here talking with Roy Milner, and what is your job title? It's a self-given title. It's, <laughs> it's, it's Chief Fermentation Officer. Um, I kept feeling embarrassed in front of our head brewers and all of our brewing team because everyone would say, are you the brewmaster? And I would say, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And they would say, were well, you the owner? And I would say, well, no, I'm not really. Um, you, you know, I, I'm a partner in the brewery, but I do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Most of what I do is 
is uh, manage our brand throughout the marketplace so with distributors, with media, with events and dinners and mm-hmm. chefs. And you know, my passion has really become the business of beer. I love the business. I love the people that I get to work with and some of the relationships I've been able to build with other organizations in food and culinary and, and beverage. So for me, that's where my passion lies the strongest and building a team of people that are passionate about being in the brew house and making these products every day. Mm-hmm. I still stay very involved with recipe development and, and all the things that go along with that. But more of my time spent outside of the brewery than in the brewery. So I felt like Chief Fermentation Officer covered everything from from start to finish. <laughs> well, how'd you get in this business of, of loving beer? How'd you get to be doing Begrudgingly, this? if you ask my dad. Um, <laughs> I was a business major at the University of Tennessee, and, and I fell in love with homebrewing. And through homebrewing, I got very involved in the local homebrewing community, and uh, I became the president of the East Tennessee Homebrew Club in 1994. And at the time, craft brewing in East Tennessee was virtually non-existent. I mean, there were a couple of small places popping up. So I took a big trip out west with my cousin in 1995 when I graduated, and we hit 80 breweries in about a three-month span. We were looking for work. Well, a lot of people were also looking for work in an industry that had a lot of cachet and sex appeal, and people were really interested in what craft beer was going to be, and the West Coast was kind of the hotbed of where things were happening. And a lot of people were working for free. So we, we came limping back into town after visiting 80 breweries and not finding any work. And, and unbeknownst to me, there was a brewery opening up uh, in Western Plaza, which became the mill. And uh, I landed the brewing job there through some persistence. And, and uh, that was my first foray into brewing on any type of public scale. It had always been on a home scale. And I brewed there. I ended up brewing a few other breweries around the southeast. And then I helped a friend open a brewery called Eastern Rivers Brewing Company. So I just kind of fell into a lot of different roles in the industry from the 90, from 95 until 99, at which point I went to work for Boston Beer Company, which is Sam Adams. And uh, that was really my first experience of learning more about selling beer and working with distributors and retailers and positioning brands in front of consumers and I just fell in love with that that part of it and uh, most of my career from that point forward was on the business side of of craft and uh, and then I met the Bells in 2010 and we shared this passion for beverage and we talked about what was going on in our home state of Tennessee and we're very proud of Tennessee we're very proud of East Tennessee Sam went to University of Tennessee and uh, we, we, I shared with him this notion of doing old-world farm-style brewing in this region. And luckily, lucky for me, there's, there's a farm <laughs> at Blackberry Farm. Yes. And, and Sam said, do you feel comfortable that you, can, you could pull this off? And I said, yeah, I do. I, I had written a plan, and I shared it with him. And about a month later, we got back together after he read the plan, and he said, let's, let's start. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've just heard from Roy Milner, and he'll be part of the upcoming Appalachian Homecoming with Lodge Cast Iron at Dancing Bear Lodge and Appalachian Bistro in Townsend, Tennessee. This is the first year of the Appalachian Homecoming. It's a big three-day celebration of modern Appalachian cuisine, and there will be many guest chefs, including Sean Brock, 
demonstrations, authentic Appalachian prepared dishes, and music with that 14-year-old super talent, Wyatt Ellis from Maryville, Tennessee, and also community and educational presentations. Alan Benton will be a big part of this, and also this is in conjunction with the Saturday evening event, Bacon at the Bear, benefiting New Hope Children's Advocacy Center. All of this takes place again at Dancing Bear Lodge and Appalachian Bistro in Townsend, Tennessee, and details and tickets, dancingbearlodge.com slash events. And as always, I place links to all my guests and events mentioned in the show at tennesseeferntable.com. And on that topic of chicken, let's now join Ruth Davis and her mother, Lois Schuler Colrin. Lois is known as the last woman out of the cove. That is Cades Cove, which is part of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and once home to Lois and her late husband, Kermit Colrin. Here's an easy and economical recipe for chicken and crackers. I guess the easiest and simplest recipe, and the one we've made most in the last few years, is Dad's mother. We called her Ma. Ma's chicken and crackers. Yeah. And anybody can get these ingredients, and it's not hard to fix. Of course, they, when a hen would quit laying, or a rooster would get mean and flog people, that was the victim, <laughs> and uh, it, it would be slaughtered and dressed, and um, the skin would be left on it, but they'd cut it up in pieces and put it in a big pot, cover it with water and salt it, and boil it until that meat was tender. And then they'd take the big bread pan with the two-inch sides on it, that's two fit two foot by 14 inches or 18 inches or so, big pan, and fill it about an inch deep with broken up saltine crackers, and then lift the chicken out of the pot, bone in, and just put it all over the crackers, and pour the broth over the top of that and set it back in the oven and bake it until the crackers that were on top started to brown. Mm. And that's chicken and crackers. Yeah. And it's good. <laughs> <laughs> you you cut it all up in a little bunch of pieces well, before boiling? Just like you cut the legs and the wings and the thighs. And, okay. You know, like you'd normally breast and... Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. how, how long about does it have to cook for? Oh, I'd say... 45 to 50 minutes at a good boil, mm -hmm. if it's an old hen. <laughs> <laughs> or a male rooster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they will get mean. They do. They do. We had a little bantam chicken, and I had to go out to the branch to wash clothes, you know, and she'd want to go to the house and get a cracker. Every time she'd go to the house and get that cracker shot back out to me, she had to run to keep that chicken from the... Uh, Flogging her, I don't know what he'd do, but anyway, <laughs> she would run and cry. <laughs> well, the last day of his life, he did get on my back. I fell, or stooped down to pick up a cracker that I dropped, and he jumped up and flogged my back, and he was chicken and dumplings the next day. <laughs> Daddy took care of him that night. <laughs> you 
You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and today we are setting the table with chicken. We just heard from Ruth Davis and her mother, Lois Schuler Carin. Lois is known as the last woman out of the cove, and the cove we're referencing is Cades Cove, which is part of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and once home to a community of people, including Lois and her late husband, Kermit Carin. Ruth shared with us her recipe for chicken and crackers. Support for WDVX comes from you, the listener. We thank you for your generous support during our Spring into Summer Fun Drive. If you haven't donated yet, please take a moment to do so online at wdvx.com support or return your mailer. The new WDVX Turn Your Radio On logo, t-shirt, hat, patch, and more thank you gifts are still available. See pictures, pledge levels, and donate now at wdvx.com. Want to say thank you to a few recent online donors, James from Spring City, Tennessee, Nina from Knoxville, James from Jersey City, New Jersey, and David from Salt Spring Island, British Columbia. We thank you so much wherever you're listening from. Make that pledge at wdvx.com support. Our next guest is Allison Bales. Allison and her family own and operate Bales Farm in Mossheim, Tennessee, in the northeastern part of the state of Tennessee. Her son, Marshall, is the sixth generation of this family and is carrying on the tradition of running this family farm, which has been in continuous operation since 1882. They produce premium pastured-raised meats, and Marshall is head of the egg program. Allison and I were talking the other day, and she mentioned to me how many people ask her questions on how to prepare a whole chicken. And groceries have gotten to be so expensive, and buying chicken by the parts and pieces is an added cost. And uh, preparing the whole chicken is really the way to go to stretch our food dollar. So I'm grateful to be able to feature Allison in this show with her knowledge that's so helpful to us all. So here's Allison Bales to let us know how to use that whole chicken. everybody. This is Allison Bales from Bales Farms and I am so thrilled to be here with you today. I am going to share with you the hows and the whys of using whole chicken in your kitchen. My husband Barry and I own and operate Bales Farms which is a century farm in Greene County and we raise grass-fed and grass-finished beef, pastured pork, pastured poultry and our son Marshall is in charge of the egg operation. Whole chicken is so easy to use. It makes me sad when I hear people bemoan the whole chicken. I am here today to encourage you that using a whole chicken is in fact easier and quicker than using parts and pieces. You know, we always used to use whole chickens. When our grandmothers cooked a chicken, they always used the whole bird. But in the 1950s, that began to change when parts and pieces were introduced. They became more popular 
throughout the 60s, the 70s, and into the 80s. And then in 1984, boneless, skinless chicken breasts were introduced to the supermarket shelves. And that has changed our kitchens forever. But I am standing here today to bring back the whole bird. When you buy a boneless, skinless piece of meat, any meat, you have lost flavor and you have to put that in. That takes time, energy, and money. And when you use a whole chicken, you will see you need very few ingredients to come out with a moist, tender, delicious, and nutritious meal and even meals for you and your loved ones. Here is how I prepare my whole chicken. It's so easy. It only takes three ingredients, and one of them is the chicken itself. Just take a Ziploc bag and put it in a big bowl and take a defrosted whole chicken and put it legs up in the bag. Sprinkle that very generously with salt, and it doesn't matter what salt you use. I generally use kosher salt, but you can use anything from canning and pickling salt to table salt to pink Himalayan sea salt, although I don't use that at this step because it's so expensive. Then cover the chicken with a salt with buttermilk. And if you don't have buttermilk, that's okay. You can use regular milk or you can make your own buttermilk using regular milk and a teaspoon of apple cider or white vinegar, whatever you have on hand. That brings the acidity into the milk and creates the buttermilk. So cover the chicken with the buttermilk, put it back in the refrigerator and let it sit for eight hours to overnight if you have time. If you don't have that much time, just a little bit is better than nothing. Then when you're ready to roast your whole chicken, pull it out of the refrigerator and let it come up towards room temperature, but not more than two hours sitting out on the kitchen counter. Set your oven temperature to 410 degrees and rinse your chicken off and then pat it dry. Sprinkle it again with salt and here is where I do sometimes use pink Himalayan sea salt. Then put your chicken in a cast iron skillet or if you don't have that, a roasting pan and put that in your oven, legs towards the back. Obviously, the back of the oven is the hottest part of the oven and you'll want the darkest meat towards the back. Roast your chicken at 410 for about 10 minutes and you will see the skin is golden brown. Then turn the oven down to 350 and roast for about 50 minutes. You'll need 60 minutes total. Once the internal temperature of the chicken is 165 degrees, you're ready to go. At this point in time, I pull it out and cover it with aluminum foil and let it rest for about 10 minutes. That helps to cool it down, and at that point in time, I can separate the bones and the meat. The meat I use just as roasted chicken. I use it on salads, in pasta dishes, soups, nachos, tacos. We use it every way possible. And then the bones I use for bone broth. Bone broth is amazing and amazingly simple. All you do is put your bones in a big pot, cover them with water, and put a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. That helps to bring all of the nutrients from the bones and into the broth. 
You'll cook that for about eight hours on low, and you know it's done when you can take a bone and easily bend or break it. At that point in time, you can just put it in the refrigerator and use throughout the week for cooking pasta or rice or quinoa or just a nutritious lunch. Bone broth is full of vitamins and minerals and that all-important collagen that we're all after these days. So bone broth is good to help fight those pesky little wrinkles that we're all complaining about. But really, we should enjoy because wrinkles are a gift, a sign of a life well-lived and well-loved. But that's it. That's how I do my chicken, and that's how I use my chicken. I hope that this encourages you to branch out and try whole chicken again. It really is delicious and nutritious and simple, and it goes a lot longer than the parts and pieces. If you would like to know more about me, my family, or what we do on our farm, including how we raise these chickens, you can visit us at www.bellsfarmstn.com. Thanks! You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and today we are setting the table with chicken. We've just heard from Allison Bales and her recipe for buttermilk chicken and how to use the whole chicken. I've written out the recipes here on the show today, along with links to all my guests and the podcast for the show, uh, TennesseeFarmTable.com. All of the information will automatically load at that address. WDVX is very happy to announce the return of Tennessee Shines Live from the Bijou on Wednesday night, August the 2nd, with your host, Jim Lauderdale. This iconic radio show is back. Join Jim and special guests, Willie Carlisle, Tommy Prine, the local honeys, and more on Wednesday night, August the 2nd, 7 p.m. Doors open at 6. Tickets on sale at knoxbijou.org. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and today we are setting the table with chicken. Up next is James Beard award-winning food writer Ronnie Lundy, reading from her book Shuck Beans, Stack Cake, and Honest Fried Chicken, The Heart and Soul of Southern Country Kitchens. This book is a classic and was published in 1990. In this recording, she reads from her book on the topic of honest fried chicken prepared in cast iron. Honest Fried Chicken. I was born in the state of Kentucky and Colonel Harlan D. Sanders was not. So you can believe me when I say that I, not the Colonel, know the secret to making Honest Fried Chicken. Honest Fried Chicken does not come tricked out with countless secret herbs and spices. It is not quick fricasseed under pressure and will not improve in taste if left to languish under hot lamps that would be more at home in a tanning salon than in a kitchen. Proper fried chicken deserves to be served hot from the skillet, heaped high on a platter, hovered over by steamy, golden, tantalizing wisp of aroma. Honest fried chicken has a crust that is at once crisp and tender. When your teeth sink through it, the meat they find inside should be firm but succulent, bursting with hot juice and rich chicken flavor. One bite of chicken fried with proper attention to time and technique, and you will never, ever be seduced by an imposter in a bucket again. 
Time is the secret to making genuinely delicious fried chicken. And that is one reason you will seldom encounter the real thing in a restaurant. Most restaurant chicken is deep fried fast at high temperatures that produce crisp hard crusts and dry flaky meat. Chicken cooked the way my mother taught me and the way her mother had been taught by her mother before her is slow fried in shallow oil in a heavy skillet that is tightly covered so the juice stays in the meat. The crust is crisp to the bite, but in the mouth becomes meltingly tender. Achieving such a crust around flavorful but fall from the bone tender chicken takes approximately 30 to 35 minutes of frying. That's just enough time to make a crisp green salad and whip up a batch of scratch biscuits to be smothered in gravy, the only accompaniments you need for a fried chicken feast. The other secret to perfect chicken is in the final crisping. This is accomplished by taking the lid off the skillet and letting the pieces cook in the open for a few minutes after the chicken is done. I'm not sure why this works, I only know it does, and the chicken served straight from the covered skillet without that crisping time will have a crust that is flavorful but mushy. Some southern cooks swear by a skillet known as a chicken frying pan. It is usually made of cast iron, is at least 10 inches wide, and the inside of the lid is studded with nipples that gather and drip the cooking juices back onto the meat, making chicken fried in such a pan juicier, or so its champions claim. I have such a pan, and it makes wonderful fried chicken, but so does my extra heavy aluminum skillet with the smooth surface lid, and I prefer to use it because it's easier to clean. In any case, you need a heavy skillet with straight sides, not a rounded omelet style pan, and a tight fitting lid. I've made only one change in my mother's frying chicken technique. Like most women of her generation, she favored melted vegetable shortening for the frying medium because it was healthier than the lard favored by her mother's generation. I, in turn, have adopted canola oil. Not all vegetable oils will produce the desired crust during frying, and some, like olive or peanut oil, impart their distinctive and unsuitable flavor to the kitchen. Chicken. <laughs> but the kitchen, too. <laughs> the canola oil works just fine and contains 20% less saturated fat than shortening. That's not to suggest that my fried chicken qualifies as health food. It's still probably a cholesterol sin to eat it, but oh, what a lip-smacking, soul-satisfying, wicked delight it is. This book was written in 1989, published in 1990, and I was asked to convert recipes from lard to another type of oil, if at all possible. So that is why I say to frying canola oil. In Vittles, which was written now, what I say is use lard. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes a huge difference also um, because the lard just gives it additional flavor and it's so good and I think what I learned also is that my mom switched to vegetable oil because it was impossible to find good lard for it there for a long time mm -hmm. but we can find wonderful leaf lard now and you should fry your chicken in that <laughs> words from Ronnie Lundy that's right and uh, goodness gracious, here we are. She's reading from Shut Beans and Stack Cakes and Honest Fried Chicken, the heart and soul of Southern Country Kitchens. Yeah. This is John Corkendall, and you are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table.
Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.